Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Today as well. Daniel chapter number 9, verse number 2. The Bible says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments, we have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Uh, this morning, this is not necessarily the title of my sermon, but this is uh, the, the broadcast, if you will, the forecast for this coming year. And I'm calling it this, the 24-7 plan. The 24-7 plan. All right? Let us pray together. We need God to help us this morning. I need God to help me empower my mind and my voice. Jesus, help me right now. God, I humbly approach you. I'm asking, oh Lord, minister to our hearts and to our minds. God, as we close out yet another chapter, another year, God, in the life of the First Apostolic Church, and we turn our eyes toward, Lord, the coming year, I pray, oh Lord, let it be with anticipation. Let it be, Lord, with desire. Let it be, Lord, with uh, insatiable desire for the things of the kingdom, for the things of God, for personal growth and growth collectively. I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, minister, Lord, in this place this morning. God, it will not be what it needs to be without a touch from heaven. We need, Lord, your power, your spirit, your glory to manifest itself in this house. God, I pray, oh, Lord, that every mind, Lord, that may be distracted, Lord, would just engage right now, engage in your word, engage in your spirit that they would carefully seek after you what you would have God for us what you would have for us individually Lord I pray God in this house Lord every knee God that may be represented God minister Lord by your spirit and your power and we'll thank you and we'll praise you for it in the lovely name of Jesus I pray amen and amen everyone say amen amen it's good to have uh, Jonathan and Lizzie with us this morning Amen. So glad that they're here. Amen. From up north today. And uh, appreciate them, honor them. You may be seated today in the lovely name of the Lord. We live in a, in a time today, and particularly now, uh, that there are a lot of questions that are arising, not just uh, within the church, but outside the church. And the questions that are arising have to do with uh, the thermometer, if you will, of America, uh, where we stand in the times, even in Scripture as the church, in the end times. There are questions that people are talking about uh, a lot now, and they always have, but particularly now, a lot of people are talking about uh, the end times and the last days and uh, what are the signs and what's going to happen. Those type of questions are coming from both saved and unsaved what what exactly is going to happen what is uh, what is the order of all things when are these things going to take place us already surviving the Mayan calendar as uh, brother Malone so aptly told us last uh, last last weekend uh, there are questions that's coming into the minds of people Daniel 7 is the seabed of a biblical prophecy 
Daniel, Daniel chapter number 9, that is, is the seedbed of it because it is there that there is a revelation of the 70 weeks of Daniel that tie very closely. And I'm not going to some big Ezekiel Daniel revelation uh, series right now, okay? Uh, but uh, tie very quickly to the book of Revelation and the unfolding of several things. And, and so there are a lot of valid questions. Where are we? What's taking place? How soon or close are we to the coming of the Lord? What are some of the prophetic things that have taken place that have unfolded? that have come to pass, even of late, what are some of those things? And those are valid questions, valid questions to ask. Where are we as a nation? And I even ask ourselves, where are we as a church? And we ask ourselves, when, it, when is it going to happen? When is it going to take place? And the, perhaps the more prominent, predominant question is this, is the church ready for it to take place? Is the church ready for it to happen? I have uh, been reading a book here lately uh, along the lines that uh, has gathered in the idea we oftentimes talk about the second coming of Christ and people's minds and attention are grabbed by that. But this author opposed, what about the second coming of the church? Uh, the church being in a position and poised and ready as the early first century church was. What should the church, I might ask us this morning, what should the church resemble in this hour? Uh, when we see the signs that are unfolding and the events of Scripture being fulfilled, what should the church resemble? What should the church look like when we are on the brink of being taken out of this worldly captivity? Uh, how should the church look? What should be the pulse of the church? What should be the activity, if you will, of the church in such an hour when the Lord could come and may come. In Daniel 9, Daniel sits at a very similar crossroads. He has been in captivity for a good portion of his life. The Bible says in his reading and his learning and understanding of the writings of Jeremiah, he understood then that the captivity would only last for about 70 years. Daniel's probably somewhere in his 80s during this time frame. There's probably only maybe between two to four more years left of captivity as a result of him learning this. But the Bible says, here's Daniel at a crossroads. He lived in a land that's foreign to himself. Yet all through the time that he's lived in this land, the Bible constantly underscores that Daniel was a man of excellent spirit. A man of excellent spirit. Lived in a land foreign to his own, but he was of an excellent spirit. The Bible tells us how early on in his relationship of being in a place that was not his own, that he did not defile himself with the meat of that land. He did not defile himself with the wine or the drink of that land. We see that Daniel is a man throughout so far the book of Daniel. He is a man of prayer. He is a man of supplication. He is a man that has given himself to the purposes and the wills of God. He has found favor, even a land that is not his own due to his excellent spirit. As a result of that, he has rose to power. He has rose to political authority. He is a ruler. He is overseeing much of the kingdom because he is a man that is dedicated to the wills and to the purposes of God. The Bible tells us in Daniel 9 in verse number 2 that Daniel understood by the books, the number of the years. What Daniel turned to at this critical juncture in his life, whenever he was on the verge of being brought out of a captivity that had lasted for 70 years, Daniel turned his mind and his attention to some books. Those books were not fictional books. Those books were not the periodicals like Time Magazine and People Magazine. Those books were not the best of Christian fiction books. Those books were not commentaries and Bible dictionaries. Those books was not the latest self-help of his generation and century. Those books were the scriptures, particularly the prophetic writings of Jeremiah. During a time whenever it was going to come a close to his captivity, Daniel says, I turned my attention toward and to the books. I want to reflect for us today that in our time of being captive in this world and in this land and perhaps being on the brink of being caught out of here, us like Daniel need to turn our attention to 
the books. We need to turn our attention to the 66 books, the 39 of the old and the 27 of the new and read in there because Daniel found out while he was reading the books, hey, this thing only lasts for 70 years. Now, I don't know where that 70 years starts. It could be three years or perhaps four years more that I'm still in captivity, but it's going to end and it's going to happen. Ladies and gentlemen, whenever you acquaint yourself with the books, the book tells you, hey, I don't know when this all started, but I know it's going to have a definite end. And as a result of the end, something began to happen inside of the mind and the heart of Daniel. Can someone say amen? I'm calling the congregation this morning. If you already practice this, that's well. If you do this faithfully, that's well. But I'm challenging the first apostolic church this morning. Get back to the book. Get back to the books in 2013. Amen. I understand casual reading. I do it myself. Christian fiction, good. Your magazines, that's fine. Your newspaper, that's fine. Your commentaries, whatever it is you have on your table, that's fine. But in the process of doing all of that, don't leave out the book because the book's going to tell you how close we are. The book's going to tell you where you're living. The book's going to give you a standard whereby you can judge your life, judge your society, judge your relationship with God. Don't leave out the book. Say, Brother McGee, this is an old sermon. Brother McGee, this is an old tale. You old guys always talk about the word. You always talk about devotion. You always talk about reading the word. You always talk about prayer. Ladies and gentlemen, we got to be deeply engrounded in these fundamental elements of the church and of God. It is the book. It is prayer. It is fasting. It is worship. It is supplication that will take the church from here to there someday. Yes, it is I can't say this enough and I'm going to be a harping preacher perhaps today just hitting the same old nail but we cannot underestimate the value of our Bible and the words that are written therein we can't underestimate the value of these scriptures to our life and to our destiny we must keep our nose in the books we must have our hearts pondering the books we must meditate upon the books we must talk about the books oh yeah we must celebrate the stories of these books in order folks to understand the significance of Daniel's practices we must work this model backwards sister McGee or Brother Zach sorry God bless you no offense if you'll go to verse number 19 of Daniel 9, let me read the culmination of the story right here where Daniel is given an interpretation. Daniel is given some understanding concerning the vision and the words of the prophetic 70 weeks. The Bible says in verse 19, here's Daniel. He's been praying now. We're gonna wrap all this together. Daniel's been praying. He says, oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive O Lord, hearken, do not defer for thine own sake. Oh my God, hear Daniel right now. For thy city and thy people are called by thy name. And Daniel said, and whiles I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I've seen in a vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. The Bible says at the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth and I am come to shew thee for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore understand the matter and consider 
the vision in order to understand amen the significance of what Daniel does before he receives understanding before he receives the interpretation of what is to come of what is to happen we got to look at this model backwards Daniel received the interpretation for the future during his prayer time amen there was no understanding. There was no revelation. There was no piercing thought about what was to happen until Daniel went to his time of prayer. His prayer time, look, while he was praying, while he was speaking, he was interrupted with understanding. He was interrupted with revelation that came from God. His prayer time was interrupted with interpretation, but his prayer time was prompted by spending time with the books oh yes we want understanding we want interpretation amen for things to come even for things in our life I want it for the church to know what to speak when to speak and how to speak ladies and gentlemen it will come in your time of prayer it will come in your time of supplication many times while you are yet speaking I hear God sometimes maybe not in an audible voice but by a little impressing in my spirit begin to talk to me whenever I begin to talk to him in prayer while I'm crying out in the fervency of my hour of prayer I feel God beginning to impress me about what I need to do how I need to live what direction the church needs to go how we need to saddle up and somehow go forward all through a time of prayer but what brought Daniel to the prayer was the books someone say amen Amen. (laughs) because when we become intimate with the word it will generate a desire to become intimate with the author And then when we turn from being intimate to the word and a desire is built to be intimate with the author of the word, then that author will share some treasures due to that intimacy and relationship. Mm -hmm. Someone say amen. Matthew chapter 13. Jesus so many times in the latter portion of his ministry battled so much, a constant battle would seem, and it just grew in his earthly ministry with the scribes and the Pharisees. As it got closer to the time of his crucifix, closer to the hour, if you will, of his death, this this friction between the Lord and the scribes and the Pharisees just began to grow. They would come to the Lord's teachings. They would come to where he was preaching. And their purpose, though, in reality for being there is that they might, Catch him in his speech. Catch him in his phraseology. Maybe falsely accuse him of saying or doing something that was against the law. Their purposes were impure. But it was during those times that Matthew tells us in 13. During those times that Jesus began to speak to the multitudes and his disciples by parables. The Bible says so that he started to speak to the multitudes and the disciples by parables. Why did the Lord do that? Because those that were on the fringe would have ears and hear the word, but wouldn't understand. And those that would have eyes would see, but they would not perceive. But the Bible says to his disciples, to his followers, They would wait around after the multitudes left and his disciples would still be there. When everybody else got their fill and they heard the story, so to speak, and they left scratching their head, the disciples would still be there. Why were they there? They were waiting for the explanation. 
and it's with that ragtag group of 12 or however many it escalated to of the disciples, the followers, that he would share the treasure of the parable, amen, to those that were truly in relationship with him. Read it for yourself. He tells the story of the seed that's thrown up on the different grounds. But after the multitude has left, the disciples come and say, Lord, what do these things mean? He says, well, that who sows the word, amen, is, is the Lord. It's the word of God, amen. And that which, and he starts explaining the different grounds. Why? Because he gives explanation and understanding to those that are in relationship with him. hear me today you know there, there, there is no there is no question in my mind Bishop I've sat some down sometimes at camp meetings and conferences and hear different people expound the word of God and I'm asking myself but Mason, man you will not find that anywhere you'll not find that in a book you'll not find that in a Bible dictionary you'll not find that anywhere why because that person amen went to the books and the books prompted amen a prayer time and in that prayer time the author of the book begin to give some revelation and understanding. Honey, I need revelation and understanding for the first apostolic church. You need it for your life. You need it for your family. But we gotta go to the books and let the books prompt us to prayer. And in prayer, while we yet speak, God is gonna give understanding. Whenever here's what the basic story here in Matthew 13 is is that whenever you seek to know him you'll see things that others won't see when you seek to know him you'll hear things that others won't hear the disciples seen things that the multitudes didn't see the disciples saw things and heard things that the multitudes didn't see why? because they were more in relationship with him Folks, listen, the forecast is this. I don't want to just be another church. I don't want to just be another people. I don't want to be grouped with the multitudes that hears the same parable and the same word, but there's not granted revelation and understanding. No, it's always been my desire in whatever I do to be on the cutting edge, to be the best that I can be and nothing less. Amen, whether it's outside in the world or whether it's in the church. And if that means going to the books and going to prayer and allowing God to speak understanding and direction and vision in my life then that's what I want and I'm asking take that burden upon you for 2013 that more than ever before we're going to go to the book it's going to prompt us to pray and we're going to hear from heaven we're going to get understanding we're going to get revelation from God Take any congregation and there will be the multitudes and the disciples. The multitudes come for the loaves and the fishes. They come for the miracles. They come to see some sign and go home. But the disciples want to sleep where he sleeps. Want to eat what he eats. Want to go where he goes. Most of you know my wife is an avid reader. She's a bona fide bookworm. I told her even she better. I told her, I said, dear, this coming year, you just need to keep track of all the books that you actually read in a year. And uh, being as she is, she has almost, has almost every book, if not all, almost every book by a Christian fiction author by the name of Ted Decker that is written. She first became acquainted with his books. And as a result of reading those books and continuously buying and reading those books, it resulted in a desire to become more acquainted with the author. So she follows him on Facebook and any other inroad that she can find into his life. She's not stalking him. But she wants to know more about the person that authored the books that she reads. And so as a desire to do so, and she just recently in the past week has just recently finished the first of four new mini novels that he is releasing. She got it in electronic format, free from the author. A fly-by-night reader of him doesn't get that. 
Because they're probably not going to be privy to the knowledge. Because you got to know more than the books, you got to know the author of the books. So you read the books, and when you read the books, you get to know the author of the books. And in doing so, there's perks and privileges that extended to you by knowing the author. Daniel's perusal of the scriptures motivated him to pray. When he read the writings of Jeremiah, that there's just 70 years in this thing, and I'm close to being released from my captivity. It motivated him to pray. Honey, if there's ever an hour that the church should be motivated to pray, it should be in the crescenting hour of being released from our captivity. The word of God generates prayer in your life. (laughs) When you read the word and it speaks of God, we long to commune then with God. Whenever it speaks of blessing, we long to praise. Whenever it speaks of glory, we long to receive it. When it speaks of promise, we long to realize it. When it speaks of sin, we long to confess it. When it speaks of judgment, we long to avoid it. When it speaks of hell, we long and pray for the souls that are lost. The word of God will cause and prompt you to pray. Straws perhaps said it very well. And no doubt all of us could at some time testify to this reality that Bible reading and prayer stand or fall together. Bible reading and prayer stand or fall together. On rare occasions you'll see somebody that's faithful in Bible reading and not faithful in prayer. On rare occasions you'll see somebody faithful to prayer and not faithful to Bible reading. For the most part they stand and they fall together. Why? Because in your Bible reading, it generates a motivation for prayer. And in your praying, it, it, it puts a motivation to go back and seek out his word. And I would dare to say, if we have grown lax in the year 2012 in Bible reading, we're probably growing lax in prayer. And if you've grown lax in prayer, you're probably going lax in Bible reading. They are codependents, if you will. One leaning upon the other. One is the written form of what he said. The other is the author of what was said. And although God, amen, can prompt you and speak to you and impress you in your prayer, he oftentimes talks to you through his word. Many times God's talking to you through his word and then you talk to him through your prayer. And it's during those moments of meditation that understanding, revelation, the light bulb goes off and is granted. And is it not somehow norm that if you do not want to talk to God, you don't want God to talk to you? You know how it is in a natural relationship? I don't want to talk to them. Laced in that is also this. I don't want them talking to me. Come on. Someone even say, why don't you go talk to them? I don't want to talk to them. Phone calls and guess who it is? Them. I don't want them talking to me. Because the talk period engages both parties. (laughs) The Bible says this in Joshua 1 and verse number 8. It says, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. The context of the scripture is this. God himself is addressing Joshua. Because Israel's leader, Moses, has died. The mantle of leadership has been passed from Moses to Joshua. Joshua now has the responsibility of leading the children of Israel into the land of promise. A land filled with adversaries. A land filled with pagan idolatry. Temptation would be there. Warfare would be there. So what is God then telling Joshua to do with the understanding? You'll have adversaries there, pagan adultery, warfare, temptation. God doesn't tell Joshua 
Make sure your sword is sharp. He doesn't tell Joshua, have the soldiers get their weapons ready. No, the word of God to Joshua for this time is this. Make sure the book of the law does not depart from your mouth. Meditate upon it day and meditate upon it night and observe to do according to the book that is in your hand. In other words, he says you can have all the clamor and the silver of the natural weaponry, but if you depart from the book, you're hazarding your lives if you depart from the book. First and foremost, let your focus and attention be on the book. Folks, there are going to come some things in 2013 that maybe did not come in 2012. But more than sharpening all the materialistic things, do not lose your focus on the book. Meditate it when you get up, before you go to bed, all throughout your day. And by all means, observe to do according to the book yes do according to the book can I step aside just for a moment and pastor and say this that when you ask me my opinion my opinion is going to try to be based right here I'm going to pastor here just for a moment don't waste my time by asking what me and God think about it and leave my office and do quite the opposite. Meditate upon this. In the morning, meditate upon this. In the evening, and by all means observe to do according to the book. The book. Because whenever you look at the book, it won't just leave you there. It will propel you to pray. And so the advice of God to Joshua was this. He said, talk about the book. Think about the book. And do the book. Someone say, talk about it. Think about it. Do it. Talk about it. Think about it. And do it. Talk about it. Think about it. And do it. Deuteronomy 31, it talks about Moses prior to this exchange of the mantle of leadership. Moses completing the book of the law. The first five books of our Bible. Completing the books of the law. Committing it to the care of the priest in Deuteronomy 31, verse 25. The Bible says that Moses commanded the Levites which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, saying, take this book of the law. Put it in the side of the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God. That it may be therefore a witness against thee. Can I convey today when Moses gave that book to be put in the ark, the presence of the Lord, to be bore upon the shoulders of the priests. It was not enough for the book of the law to be in the presence of the Lord. And it was not enough for the book of the law to be carried on the shoulders of the priest. But God commanded Joshua, you take that book out every once in a while and you talk about it and you think about it and you do it. He says, it shall not depart from your mouth. In other words, God's instructions, they were not to depart from your mouth. Joshua held true to that word that was given to him of the Lord when they entered the promised land. Put about half the tribes on Mount Gerizim, the other half on Mount Ebal. You know what Joshua did when they entered just into the land of promise? The Bible tells us in Joshua 8, 34, and afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings. I like that. Because I understand we have tendencies sometimes when we need something. Let's go to Psalms and let's find something uplifting and encouraging. I need that today. Joshua said, y'all sit down. I'm going to read to you the blessings, yes. But let me also read to you the cursings. He said, because I don't want you to get ignorant and so acquainted with the blessings that you forget the cursings. So he read it all according as it was written in the book. There was not a word, verse 35 said, of all Moses commanded, which Joshua read not before all the congregation of Israel with the women, oh yeah, and the little kids. 
even the strangers. Folks, it is incumbent upon me, as I've said before, to declare all the counsel of God. And I must declare it to the men and to the ladies and to the children and strangers if there's any guest here. I am known places in places that would cringe. My God, why is that preacher preaching like that tonight? We got guests. Is it in the book or is it in the book? Is it in the book or is it in the book? I dare to say sometimes we as apostolics are a little more uncomfortable than what they even are. Is it in the book? or Talk about it. Think about it. Do it. Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen. He talked about it. Amen. And this, 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 oh God, this precious book was going to be a constant topic of conversation. They was going to meditate on it day and night. Why? Because whatever you're thinking about all day and thinking about all night will show up in your conversation. Whatever possesses your mind is going to possess your tongue. Whatever possesses your heart is going to possess your tongue. Oh yeah, it'll show up in your conversation. I say in 2013, let us cast our ear and eye over our shoulder and just somehow realize what are we talking about the most? What are we talking about the most? What is our conversation filled with the most? And what is it telling me? Folks, listen to me today. This is, this is not my motive. You're taking that You're taking it wrong. I'm not up here as some battering, beaten preacher. But I do want to draw us to a place of awareness. I do want to draw us to a place of self-examination. Amen. As we enter into a new year. Because I believe we have further places to go than where we presently are at. I don't believe this is the gold pot at the end of the rainbow. Presently where we're at. We have further places to go. But we cannot get there without the books. We cannot get there without prayer. We cannot get there without the voice of revelation. That that comes by means of a relationship with God. He's telling Joshua, Joshua, you're going to have to be dominated by the word of God. It's going to have to be a dominant thing in your life. Meditatively, it's going to have to be a dominating thing in your life and in your conversation. You're going to talk about it. But you can't talk about something long enough until pretty soon you're going to live it out. And that thing that you're thinking about and talking about and doing, it's going to make your way prosperous. And it's going to give you success. But you must do all according to all that is written therein. You must do. Lord, I hope I'm not viewed as a mudslinging preacher, but if so, it wouldn't be the first time. There's many even Christian people who cannot do all according to what is written therein because they've never read, read what has been written. What we declare on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday is a very small sliver of the totality of what this book contains. Study the scripture. Read the scripture. Have it prompt me to pray. And God will bring understanding even of what I've read. And what I've prayed. In doing so, he'll bring me into a prosperous way. And cause me to have success. God tells Joshua at least three times there in the opening chapter of Joshua. He tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. Just a few verses later, be strong and courageous. Just a few verses later, be strong and courageous. God, how am I going to do all this? Think about it. Talk about it and do it, and it'll make you strong. Whew. And you'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Whew. And what does that tree do? It meditates in the law of the Lord. Look at Psalms 1 day and night. The word of the Lord is, is a table for you, it is the manna from heaven, it is the bread of life, it is there to nourish you. 
It is there to speak to your needs. In there are promises. In there is instruction. In there is wisdom. In there is comfort. In there is encouragement. But the master saying, as the old song we used to sing, come and dine. He's not a force feeder. He's beckoning us to come and dine. So I've got to be careful to do. Not just to read. Not just to think. But to do. And you'll have success. The Bible says this in James chapter number 5. Because becoming intimate with the book. Give me a few more hours here and I'll be done. Get intimate with the book. And intimacy with the book will provoke you to prayer. All right? I'm talking about, everybody say prayer. I want to capitalize all those letters, all right? Prayer. Not little P-R-A-Y-E-R, prayer. I'm talking about prayer. James 5, 16, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The last phrase, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much the word effectual in the Greek means this energetic the energetic fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much I'm just asking a rhetorical question when was the last time your prayer was energetic energized charged Because scripture tells me that type of prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Much comes by that type of praying. Not to say of the prayers you pray doesn't make some headway, but the effectual fervent prayer of righteous people availeth much. Not little, but much. And let's also qualify the scripture. <laughs> a righteous man. I've heard a lot of energetic unrighteousness. <laughs> Don't think that just energy behind it is what makes, makes the note. It's the energy along with the righteousness of the man. Well, that man don't have no righteousness in himself. That's right. His righteousness comes from God. How can he get that? You got to go to the books. <laughs> and the book starts laying a ruler on your life and by what you discover there then you react accordingly amen and notice please notice this with me today in verse 19 of Daniel 9 when Daniel was interrupted while he was praying he was in a mode of repentance Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, hearken and do and do not defer. Daniel had been in a prayer of repentance. And whenever that came and that was happening, the angel steps in and interrupts his prayer. And notice the last verse of Daniel chapter number 9 with me today. Not the last verse, but verse number 23 the angel tells Daniel, he says, at the beginning of thy supplication, the commandment came forth. In other words, whenever you started praying, God gave me your answer. When you started praying, God gave me your answer, but I couldn't give it to you till you started repenting. You started praying. God said, here's the answer. And he says, I'm fluttering there. And he said, I'm just waiting for repentance. And when you repent, I'll give you the answer. I wonder if we're becoming frustrated sometimes in prayer because we're saying, God, we're praying, God, we're praying, we're God, we're praying. And he's given the answer. But he can't give it to you until you repent. And that's what Daniel does right here in the beginning. And he's fasting. He's got on sackcloth. He's got on ashes. He's making confession. You can read the book of Daniel 9. Man, he is making confession. Note, and he's not just confessing for his sins. He's confessing for the sins of the nation that he is a part of. 
And when he's done all this, while he's in that mode of God, forgive me, God says, wait a minute, Daniel. Let me give you some revelation. Let me give you some understanding. I am all for prayer, but not prayer without repentance. I'm all for prayer, but as a church assembly today, not a first apostolic praying church that never has a time of repentance. Because I pray all day, but if I don't repent, the answer won't come to me. It won't come to us. It's already been given, but it won't reach me. Unless I repent. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. He says, if you pray according to my will, I'll hear you. Listen, in order to pray according to God's will, you must know God's word. Because much of his will is already conveyed in his word. And so you can't properly pray according to his will. Until you meander, think upon, talk about, and do his word. And if it isn't expressed in precept here, it's, it's in principle. And if it's not there, it's as the Old Testament says, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. His will is made known by his word. And whenever I know his word, I can go to prayer and pray according to his will. Because I familiarize myself with his word. J.B. Johnson said it like this in the book, The Prayer Meeting in Its History. He said, the church is never more like the New Testament church than when it is praying. Mighty prevailing prayer book, Wesley Duell said this, all you need to learn to pray is to pray. You can read the books of the Bible, and these are easy to remember. Ezra 9, Nehemiah 9, Daniel 9. And you'll see in each of those stories that there is a coupling of the word with prayer. And through the coupling of word with prayer, there was given revelation, understanding, restoration, whenever you coupled the word with prayer. Ezra 9 is where I preached a, a few Sundays ago talking about that little reviving in your bondage. You know how that came about? Ezra looked at the word, and then he went to prayer. John 15, 7, the Bible says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done. If I can just mark out the little abide in me just for our purposes and understanding today. If my words abide in you, then ask. If my words abide in you, pray. Get to the word. If it gets in you, in your heart, in your mind, in your meditation, then open up your mouth and pray. He'll give you success. Just a little bit longer. You can go and stand with me today. We need energetic prayer, fervent prayer, righteous people praying. Thomas Brooks said it like this, and I close with his words and then a challenge. He said, as painted fire is no fire, a dead man is no man, so cold prayer is no prayer. In a painted fire, there is no heat. In a dead man, there is no life. And in a cold prayer, there is no power, no devotion, no blessing. He said, cold prayers are as arrows without heads, swords without edges, birds without wings. They pierce not, they cut not, they fly not up to the heaven. Cold prayers always do freeze before they get to heaven. We must have fervent prayer. So Daniel's reaction then to seeing the culmination of his captivity was this. I'm turning to the books. Bible says then he set his face to prayer that was his attention that was his focus I set my face to prayer guys this is a challenge today as apostolic church and please if you've understood these last words to be harping words I'm sorry that has not been their intention if that's the way you receive them then receive them so that is not my intention but I just want to be a prompter today because we will never be 
what we ought to be without the word and prayer consistently and steadily in, my, in our lives as a church. I'm telling you this absolutely. We will tread the same pool and the same water for the rest of our days here on earth if we don't prevail in the word and in prayer. And with that, this is my challenge for 2013. This is my challenge. It's 24-7. That's the challenge. I don't think it's anything far-reaching. 24-7 is this. That every day, weekends included, challenge you to give 24 minutes of your day in prayer and Bible reading, collectively together. That's not much. 24 minutes out of your day is less than 2% of your day. To be exact, it's 1.6666666666. of your day. 24 minutes of prayer and Bible reading out of your day. 24, 7 days a week. Because I know the mentality of people. I'm human. It's the weekend. You don't work. Sometimes you do. I work a lot on the weekends. Got to talk to my employer about that. <laughs> it's the weekend. It's family. It's so on and so forth. It's a time to cast off all restraints and just do whatever pleases me. Listen, I'm challenging the church today. On Saturdays, don't forget your prayer. Don't forget your Bible reading. On Sundays... And can I say this without being stoned? Be on your before church Sunday morning and church Sunday night. Some isolated time of just you and nobody else in God. Brother McGee, I might have to get up earlier. I know it. Brother McGee, that's easy for you to say because you're a pastor and you've got all the time in the world now and you just don't understand. So you just might as well buck up, buddy. Let me tell you, I've sat where you sat. And you know what this boy did? He got up earlier before he went to work. You'll find time for the things that are important to you in your life. That's an old cliche, but let me use it again on this last service. 2013, 24-7 plan. I'm not having you fill out cards for you to report back to me. Did I do it or did I not do it? You know whether you did or not. And you don't need any other schoolmaster than your conscience. Letting you know whether you did. 24 minutes, folks. You can divide that however you want. You want to give 12 minutes of prayer and 12 minutes of Bible reading? You want to give a five-minute prayer and the remainder of Bible reading? And let me tell you this. I'm not holding you just to 24 minutes. If you get somewhere along in the year, man, you are just so enthralled by going to the book and then being prompted to prayer that you're going beyond 24 minutes. That's okay. Please don't go. <laughs> Please don't go 48 minutes and say, well, I got Tuesday taken care of. Why are you saying this, Because I want to promise you something. I want to promise you something right now. If you'll practice 24-7 this year, God's going to open up understanding, revelation. And there'll be some things that will culminate and come about in this year in your family, my family, and this church that we'll wag our heads at and say, why didn't we persistently do this before? I promise you that. I promise you that. I oftentimes in our little marriage, me and my wife had this little thing, and she'll ask me to do some stuff sometimes. And if I say, yeah, okay, it's all right. But there's sometimes I'll look at her and I'll say, dear, I give you a Paul McGee guarantee. This has been something we've done over our 15 years of marriage. And she knows when she hears those words, Paul McGee guarantee, it's signed, sealed, and delivered. She knows it's happening. Well, this morning, I know you're not my wife, but listen to me. I'm giving you a Paul McGee guarantee this morning. That if you practice 24-7 this year, you will not be disappointed. Oh, Jesus. I'm asking collectively today, can we just spend some time around this altar? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you and have a blessed day.